right, I was about to tell my son to hit uh, Because He Lives one more time and just sing that through again, amen? Like you brought tears to my eyes the way you were singing that song and just declaring out that because Christ is alive, we have hope and all fear is gone. So just thank you for your ministry as you sing aloud. Uh, I know that if you know the song, you're more likely to sing it, but we need to learn new songs as well. But sometimes just bringing back those uh, rock-solid hymns that declare the truth of God, uh, that, that really capture the soul. So thank you for singing that out. And uh, anyways, if you got a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11. And uh, we're continuing in our series called Anxious for What? That's right, anxious for nothing. Been talking about the fact I went back and counted it up. It's been six weeks uh, that we've been in this series. Probably feels a little bit longer, uh, but we're going to do maybe another week or two, I think, in this series, and then maybe in July, uh, we'll start a different series. So somewhere in the neighborhood of about eight weeks, I think, is what right now the series will end up being, but you never know. The good thing about Faith Family is we'll just go kind of as the Spirit leads, and if He says, do another month, We'll do another month, okay? Uh, but for now, our attention is here in uh, Matthew chapter 11. Our theme verse uh, for this series has been Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Uh, Paul takes that from what Jesus tells his disciples in Luke chapter 12, where he tells them this. He tells the disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And so this issue of anxiety or worry, stress, even depression is something that the Bible talks a lot about. And this is what we've looked at the last six weeks. We've talked about things to remember when you're anxious, uh, like that God is with you, the Lord is at hand, Philippians 4. Uh, remember your identity. You are a child of your heavenly Father. He's going to take care of you. If, if He cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, will He not more so take care of you? We've talked about things you need to do when you're anxious, like praise, rejoice in the Lord always, uh, pray, bring your supplications and your requests before God to ponder what is true and what you know. We've looked at people in the Bible that have struggled with anxiety. Elijah, Habakkuk, the disciples. Last week we talked about Martha. We've talked about things that cause our anxiety, some of the reasons for our anxiety, like it could be our pace of life, which we looked at last week. One of the reasons why you're worried is because you live life in a hurry, like Martha. You've overcommitted yourself, and that creates uh, anxiety. It could be that you're not spending enough time with God. Anxiety remembers the warning light telling you to stop and spend time with your Creator. He knows you more than anybody knows you because He created you, which means He's the only one that can fix you. And so if you're not spending time with Him, that can be why you're anxious. It could be forgetting who you are on it. We covered a lot in six weeks, amen? I mean, going back through this, I'm like, wow, that just took six weeks, right? There's a, so much the Bible says about this topic. And tonight we're going to look at another common reason for why we struggle with anxiety and worry and stress. And it is one of the most beautiful, beautiful passages in all of Scripture. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. So if you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. Matthew 11 and verse 25 says that at, at the time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Are there more beautiful words in all of the Bible? Let's pray. God, help us now then come tonight to Jesus and to experience this freeing of our burden, the, the heavy laden of life, of, of the heaviness that we deal with, with worry and anxiety. Help us understand the, the core of what the Gospel is all about as I preach this text, God, do the work that only you can do in the hearts and in the souls of your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Madison Holleran was a track star at the University of Pennsylvania. Madison was very, very popular. Uh, she came from a very large and supportive family uh, out of New Jersey. And when she was in high school, everyone knew that Maddie was going to be successful. She was destined for great things. And when she arrived at the University of Pennsylvania, she picked up right where she left off from high school. Uh, she immediately began to make a lot of friends. Uh, she excelled in the classroom and had great grades. And she absolutely dominated on the athletic field. Listen, no one could outperform Maddie. In fact, everything looked perfect on the outside. It looked like she had it all together, but on the inside, Maddie was falling apart. She struggled with extreme levels of anxiety and depression, so much so that what she did on the morning of January 17th left her family and friends in both sadness and shock. Madison got up, went to class, took a test, hung out with some friends, and went by the campus bookstore. While she was at the bookstore, her dad called and said, Maddie, have you found a therapist yet? And Maddie said, no, but don't worry, Dad. I'll be fine. She proceeded in the bookstore to buy some gifts for her family, some chocolate for her dad a necklace for her mom, ginger snaps for her grandparents, clothes for a nephew, a book for a friend. And later that evening, as the sun was sitting on the city of Philadelphia, Madison took those gifts and she spread them all out on the ninth floor of a parking garage right before she jumped. Madison was 19 years old. 
major media outlets begin to investigate the factors that led to Madison's death. One reporter from ESPN, a woman by the name of Kate Fagan, she wrote a book about Madison's life called What Made Maddie Run? The Secret Struggles and Tragic Death of an All-American Teen. And in the book, she details Maddie's struggles with anxiety and depression because she was so captured by a success driven culture. She wrote, quote, Madison was beautiful and talented and successful. She was the epitome of what every young girl hopes to become, but she was a perfectionist who struggled when she performed poorly, close quote. Faith family, listen, Maddie never found peace because she felt like she always had to perform. And stories like hers are tragic, and they're also common. And I'm not referring to the suicide, I mean the anxiety that comes from the performance and success-driven culture that you and I live in, right? I mean, we know this. Does not everybody in this room tonight know this? Have you not felt this? Have you not experienced this anxiety? It's the anxiety that you feel when you're doing everything you can to please your parents and make them happy and proud of you. That anxiety that comes from having to live up to a standard of beauty that is put forth by our culture. The anxiety that comes with having to keep your boss happy so maybe you can get that raise or their promotion. The anxiety of, i got to keep my grades up because if I don't keep my grades up, I won't be able to get into that college. That anxiety that comes if you're a parent with you're doing everything that you can to be a good mom, everything you can to be a good dad. Pastors struggle with this anxiety a lot. It's the anxiety of you got to keep everybody happy so they'll keep coming back again and again. And I could give probably a hundred other examples. Here's the point I'm making, faith family. One of the biggest enemies to our peace is the need to perform. One of the biggest enemies to our peace is the need to perform. And this anxiety is not just something we experience in this life. It's something we experience in our spiritual life. Listen to me. What I mean is one of the biggest, and I know there are some of you here tonight, you are dealing with this. You are struggling with this. You have, you have dealt with this before. Here's what I'm talking about. It's spiritual anxiety that you feel when you're not living up to God's standard. You feel like you can't approach Him because you haven't done enough. I could give you a hundred examples, either from Scripture or from church history, of men and women who struggled with this spiritual anxiety of having to perform. Probably one of the, the ones that comes to my mind immediately is Martin Luther. Martin Luther, before he discovered biblically that justification, that is our righteous standing before God, comes by faith and not by works, that is not by what you do, until he discovered that, he was terrified to come before God in prayer. He was, he was horrified to approach God. Uh, back before the Protestant Reformation, when he was just a Catholic monk, and he had to, uh, to lead in communion, because Catholics teach that the wine is actually the blood of Jesus, which we do not believe. We don't believe the Bible teaches that. But he was terrified that he might spill one drop 
And if he spilt one drop, what would God do to him given all his failures and shortcomings? This man was terrified. He was full of spiritual anxiety because he knew his shortcomings in life and he knew that he couldn't live up. Anybody struggle with that? If you've never struggled with that, you're more spiritual than your pastor. Because I'm going to be honest with you, there's been many times in my life I've struggled with that. It's an idea that actually gets illustrated in C.S. Lewis's famous work, The Chronicles of Narnia. It's either Lucy or Susan, one of the children of man who on one hand is very, very excited to meet Aslan, the great lion, but on the other hand is a little nervous. She, she, she says, uh, uh, is, is he a man? Aslan a man? Certainly not. Aslan's a, a lion, a, a great lion. Oh, then is he safe? Listen to what he said. she says. I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Of course he's not safe, but he is good. Have you ever felt that nervousness, that anxiety of coming before a holy God? Anxious because you fear whether or not He will accept you. I'm telling you, because of the religion and, and denomination I grew up in, this was ingrained in me that i got to do enough in hopes that God will accept me. Well, that's bad news if you're constantly aware of how you keep falling short and it creates an anxiety and a worry because you feel like you haven't performed enough for God's love. Am I the only one here tonight who struggled with that? And if you have ever or are currently dealing with that anxiety, do I have wonderful news for you. Look at Matthew 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The first thing I would have you note here is that Jesus exposes the source of our anxiety. Now, now where I get the idea of anxiety here is from words like heavy laden. The idea of carrying a burden. Uh, Jesus here is speaking about the, the heaviness of life. The stress that we carry. Uh, and he's doing this in a context where he's speaking to the people of Israel. Uh, and he, what he's doing is he's condemning the religious leaders for the burdens, for the anxiety, for the worry and stress that the, that the religious leaders are putting on the people of Israel. It's why he uses this word yoke. Now, now, my guess is most everybody here tonight uh, knows what a yoke is. It looks like this. It's that long wooden beam with two circles on it. And it's used for cattle. Uh, specifically like a farmer who's plowing a field. 
And the idea was, I want you to, to get this in, the idea was a, a younger animal who doesn't know the way of the master, who doesn't know how to plow the field, who, who doesn't know how the whole thing works, would be yoked with an older animal that would show them how it's done. And so these two would become yoked together. Now, in the ancient Near East, in Jesus' times, this would be used as it relates to your teacher or your mentor. You would be yoked with them. That is, you don't really understand how the Bible works. You don't really understand how it works to worship God. And, and so you have a teacher. You have a mentor. In, in Jesus' day, it was the Pharisees who were the teachers of Israel. And so the people of Israel would be yoked to the Pharisees. They would be under their teaching. And they would literally eat, drink, sleep, and breathe whatever the Pharisees said. Are you with me? Say yes. In our day, uh, if you go to college, you just kind of show up for class and then you leave, right? I mean, you might get to know the professor a little bit. You spend an hour or two in class and you go. But that's not how it works in Jesus' day. They devoted their life. In fact, in many, think about the disciples. They actually lived with Jesus and followed him and went with him everywhere he went. These were truly examples of being yoked to their teaching. Now, what's the problem here? They're under the yoke of the Pharisees, the people of Israel. And here's what the Pharisees are doing. Here's what the religious leaders are doing. Notice this on the screen. Rather than helping them know the blessing of living in relationship with God, they placed them under the burden of having to perform for God. Let me read that again. Here's what the Pharisees were doing to those they were yoked with under their yoke was rather than helping these people experience the blessing of living in relationship with God, instead, they're placing them under the burden which caused anxiety and worry and stress because they're having to perform for God. And in doing so, faith family, rather than helping the people of Israel experience peace, they were creating more anxiety. The people of Israel were stressed out. They were, they were having an unhealthy fear of God because the whole system that they were being taught is you have to perform for God. And this is something that not only Jesus addresses later. In fact, look at Matthew 23 verse 1. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes, that is the teachers, and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. Here's why. They preach and do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. The apostles address this. You remember in our study in Acts, look at Acts 15 verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a what? A yoke on the neck of these new disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. In other words, they're saying, you're going to be saved not by how you perform, but by how Jesus performed. And it's going to be by grace and not by work. So why would you put them under the yoke of the law? 
under the yoke of performing and having to live up to God's standard. Here's another one, Galatians chapter 5. Paul takes this on, verse 1. By the way, this is, uh, if you want to further study this idea, like the entire book of Galatians. Okay, The whole book of Galatians is about this. And Paul says in Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ has set you free, so stand firm therefore, and don't submit again to a what? Yoke of slavery. Here's the point. Listen, listen. Rather than letting the law, because some of you are like, but listen, didn't God give the law? Didn't God tell them to obey the law? Weren't they supposed to try to obey the law? Yes. But what was the point of trying to obey the law? To prove you can't! The whole point of the law was not for you to obey the law, but to expose your inability to obey the law and therefore drive you away from a system and to a Savior. That's the reason for the law. But rather than letting the law, in fact, Paul even says the law was a tutor. It was a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. The standard was high, not so that you would keep trying to sustain it, but that you would realize I'll never be able to sustain that, to be able to reach that. I need grace. Then you've come to the right place. That's what the law was intended to do. But the Pharisees were yoking the people of Israel underneath a performance-based system, and it was making the people's life look like this. It was burdensome. It was heavy. It was heavy-laden and difficult. And so Jesus, as well as the apostles, exposed this burden and the anxiety that comes with it that the religious leaders are putting on the people by making them follow the external rules and traditions. And the, the fundamental teaching that was underneath this law-based or performance-based system was this. I've talked about this many times because it's at one of the cores of my teaching ministry. So if you're around me for very long, guess what? You're going to hear it again. The idea is what you do is who you are. What you do is who you are. It's a performance-based system, and if you apply that spiritually, it goes like this. What you do for God is who you are before God. Right? If you do good, if you're a good person, if you uh, obey the Bible, then God's going to love you. And if you fall short and you don't do everything the Bible says, then God's not going to love you because what you do is who you are. Or what you do for God equals who you are before God. And how many of us have had that kind of relationship with God before? It's like, uh, it's almost like, um, did any of you ever do the whole little flower game, he loves me, he loves me not? He loves me. He loves me not. Like, that represents the way we feel about coming before God, right? Oh, you know, I had such a good week. Like, I witnessed to somebody, and I, I helped a little old lady across the street, and I don't really know why she was trying to cross the street, but it doesn't matter. Like, I, I just had a really good week, you know what? And you come to church, and you're like, God's really proud of me. He loves me. And then you come the next Saturday night, and you're like, man, that week was awful. Like, you don't even want to know how many times I fell short, and my mind wasn't right, my life wasn't right, there were so many things that fell off track. He loves me not. 
And the whole cycle you're in is he loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Because you're under a yoke of teaching that is law-based, that what you do is who you are, or what you do for God equals who you are before God. So if you do things that God loves, then God loves you in return. If you do things that He does not love, then He does not love you. And here's the question I have for you, and I hope you're listening close. How can you experience the peace of God if you're always worried about performing for God? Will you let that sink in? How are you ever going to have the peace of God if you're always obsessed with performing for God? And this idea of I, an I do system, that is I have to do, I have to work, I have to perform, it, 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 it's experienced in a lot of different ways, both religiously and irreligiously. Let me give you just a few. First of all, a religious example would be, uh, how have I lived up to the religious standards, right? Have I been baptized? Do I go to confession for those of you that were raised Catholic or keep the sacraments or, or the church traditions? Am I reading my Bible enough? Am I praying enough? Enough. Um, and, and the more you perceive yourself as doing good in those areas, those religious things, you feel like you're a pretty good Christian. Or you're certainly better than the person seated next to you. I mean, you know what heathen they are, right? And so you begin to think like, okay, religiously I'm doing okay. Now let me just take a moment quickly and talk about the aspect of baptism because I talk to you about if you've never been baptized, you should be baptized. But listen, you're not being baptized to make God love you more. You're being baptized to tell the world you love Him. It's, it's not a work that's earning some more righteous standard before God. You already have that in Jesus. You simply want to publicly let the world know you're not ashamed to be a follower of Christ. So, so you don't take from what I'm saying, oh, well, good, we don't have to do anything the Bible commands us to do. Of course not. It's saying we don't do that to perform for God. We do that simply out of loving obedience to God. Do you understand the difference there? Secondly, not just religiously, but morally. People do this all the time. You assess yourself like, am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Am I better than my neighbor or who I work with at work? Uh, what about, am I better now than I was in my past? And so we're constantly assessing ourselves morally or financially. Where am I on the ladder? Right? Am I the, the most wealthiest person in my neighborhood or, or in my network? Uh, am I lower down the ladder? Where do I fit? Have I saved enough? Am I good with money? Am I bad with money? We do this relationally. Uh, how do I fit within the social standards? How many friends do I have? Am I liked by the people that I want to be liked by? Or am I not liked by the people I wish would like me? So we're constantly assessing ourselves and our performance relationally. We do this physically. Am I attractive enough? Am I athletic enough? Am I in a good enough shape? It's what I call the mirror test. You look in the mirror and you're wondering whether or not what you're doing with your body is pleasing to the social standards you live in. And on and on and on and on we go. What you do is who you are. How you perform determines your identity. And notice, this is Jesus' point. Notice this on the screen. These yokes are the core of a lot of the anxiety you experience. Are you with me tonight? These yokes, all of which are performance-based, all of which are based on what you do, these yokes that you've attached yourself socially, religiously, financially to is a major reason why you're so heavy laden. 
why you're so burdened, why you're so worried all the time. Think about it. The reason why you feel guilt is because you didn't do what you were supposed to do or you did what you shouldn't have done. Or what about frustration? You feel frustrated because you're not able to do the thing that you really want to do. Or think about worry. You're worried because you feel like you're not doing enough. Or think about being tired or weary. You're tired and weary because you can't, Martha, stop doing. You just keep like putting one more pot on the stove and you just keep overcommitting to things. And the reason why you feel tired is because you're carrying that burden of I've got to perform. Or what about pride? Pride is the idea that, whew, well, at least I'm doing enough to not be as bad as she is. At least I'm doing enough uh, to not be uh, as uh, uh, imperfect or whatever as someone else. And so you look at what you do and assess it with everyone else. The point I'm driving at is that all of these are I do burdens. It's a performance-based yoke. And living this way, Jesus says, listen, listen, living this way produces burden, not blessing, fear, not freedom, exhaustion, not edification, worry, not worship, and judgment, not joy. And if we don't start living a different way, it will spiritually kill us. It will spiritually take the life from us. We're like Tattoo. Remember Tattoo, the eight-month-old basset hound from Tacoma, Washington? His owner accidentally shut his leash in the car door and took off. Tattoo did the best he could to keep up with the car, which reached about 25 miles per hour until the police officer pulled it over. It reminded me of, you know, poor guy probably kept up for the first mile or so, right? You got to like that movie reference, right? Now, be of good cheer. Tattoo wasn't injured by this, but he had to do a lot of running just to keep up, right? And it made me think, that's our life. We look like this. We're running and running until we just collapse, we're running and trying to keep up and perform and do enough. And then eventually we become so burdened and so heavy laden that we absolutely break down. Are you with me tonight? Am I reading your mail? Am I speaking your language? Am I talking to your heart? This is the yoke of Phariseeism. It's the yoke of performance-based living. And Jesus offers a different way. Look again at what Jesus says here. If you're struggling with the anxiety of performance, if you really want to be anxious for nothing, well, here's what Jesus tells you to do. Verse 28 again. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, that is burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And here's why you'll find rest. Because my yoke, unlike the yoke of the Pharisees, is easy. And my burden, unlike the burden that they'll produce in you, is light. 
So first, Jesus exposes the source of our anxiety, but now Jesus invites us to surrender our anxiety. What is Jesus doing here? He's providing a better way. And I shouldn't even say a better way. I should say the only way. This is the only way to be anxious for nothing if you struggle with an I do based anxiety. And what Jesus is doing is contrasting his yoke with the yoke of the Pharisees. So, for instance, when he says in verse 29, this won't be on the screen, but when he says, Take my yoke upon you, what's implied there is in, a, in opposition to their yoke. If you live under their yoke, you're going to continue to live burdened and heavy laden. But if you take on my yoke, in other words, I have a different yoke. I have a different way of living. I have a, I have a better way of life contrasted with that of the Pharisees. And the four things that Jesus invites us to that will bring freedom from anxiety or performance is this. Number one, and you must have all four of these. Number one, you must come to Jesus. Let me be clear here. This is not an invitation to be a religious person. In fact, I will do everything I can possibly do to keep you from being a religious person. The Pharisees make religious people. Jesus makes Christ followers. Because you are coming to a person. You are not trying harder. You're not going to be spiritual. Rather, you are by faith coming to the real person of Jesus Christ. This is not about a system. This is about a Savior. Listen, faith family, this is so important. Notice this on the screen. The first step of being anxious for nothing is realizing life is about a person and that person ain't you. Because the whole reason why you're struggling and heavy laden and burdened and anxious is because you think it's all about you. And you might put on some kind of modest humility to say, oh, I don't, I don't really live for me. And yet you're running on the treadmill of performance, which is energized by what you do. The electricity of which that, that treadmill runs on is what you do. Do I look good enough? Have I made enough money? Am I pleasing God? You see, Jesus is saying here, like, stop being yoked to yourself and come to me. Life is about a person and it's not you. That's where it starts. Here's the second thing is then receive the life of Jesus. So come to Jesus and then receive the life of Jesus. I take this from Jesus' words. Take my yoke. That is, you're going to have to receive something. Jesus didn't say, come to me, and if you have enough money, I've got something you can purchase. Come to me, and if you've got enough spiritual credibility, I've got something you can buy. No, 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 no. This, this is the core of the gospel. Amen? Come and receive. Come. Take. I'm not asking for payment. I'm not asking for you to do anything. Just receive what I have to give. That is my yoke. And what is His yoke? It's His life. Come. 
Take, receive my life. It's no longer I who live, Paul says, but it's Christ who lives in me. For Christ who is my life. Uh, I have come that you might have life. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. And because of Jesus, you are in, because of Him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast not in yourself, but in the Lord. What's Paul saying? Everything you need in a life you get in receiving Jesus. Why? Here it is. Notice it on the screen. Because His Life, Jesus' life, is the only life that's performed perfectly. So come to Jesus and take, take, take. That is, receive, receive, receive what? The perfectly performed life. Thirdly, then learn. Jesus says, learn. Remember the yoke analogy. You're hooking yourself up to a teacher. Uh, we would call this, you're becoming a what? Starts with a D. A disciple. You're now going to learn from Jesus. You've come to Jesus. You've taken His yoke. That is His life, the perfectly performed life. And now what are you going to do? You're going to start learning. What Jesus is doing here is inviting you to transfer schools. Stop attending the school of the Pharisees, Matthew 11. I would say stop attending the University of America. And the reason why is this. If you continue to live in the success-driven culture and school that we are all students of in this world, you're going to end up with so much spiritual student loan debt, you're never going to be able to repay it. Instead, transferred to the school of the gospel where, guess what? The tuition is free. And so is the life. Because at this school, the school of the gospel, the school of the life of Christ, listen, you learn to live by the life of another. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. What, 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 what does Jesus say? I am the true vine. And he that abides in me, she that abides in me, is going to produce fruit. What is fruit? The life of Jesus. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And one of the beauties of that analogy is not, you know, come and try really hard to be like Jesus. No, no, no. Come and abide. Come and learn. Come and worship. Come and be with Jesus. And what He will do is transfer His life just like a vine would do through you. And the very fruit you'll begin to realize is something you could never have produced on your own. You could have never performed that produce. That's good. That's not even in my notes. That just came to my brain. You should write that down, right? That is of God. You could never produce that produce. The, the produce of spiritual life, you can't perform. 
but his life can be lived through you. So you come to Jesus, you receive from Jesus his life, and you realize that this is about him. And then as you learn from him and walk with him and and worship him and abide in him, then you learn how to live his life, not your life. Notice this on the screen, faith family. Becoming anxious for nothing doesn't happen overnight. It's by being daily yoked to Jesus. It's not religion. It's not following traditions. It's not external conformity. It's daily being yoked with the perfectly performed life. And then here's the last point, is that you can finally now rest in Jesus. You can rest in Jesus. When you begin to realize it's about the person of Jesus and not a church program, you realize it's about His life and not your life, you begin to learn how Jesus lives His life through you as you walk by the Spirit, then, and I would say only then, will you finally be able to breathe. And you will experience what Jesus says. Tell me this isn't beautiful. Rest for your souls. Your soul will finally be able to step off the treadmill of performance and rest. Because you don't have to perform anymore. And you think about a lot of the things that we struggle with, I just mentioned, that begin to take on a whole different calm. Guilt, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Well, but you're resting in the one who did what he was supposed to do. I'm really frustrated because I'm not able to do the thing that I want to do, but Jesus has already accomplished all that needs to be done. I'm worried, what if I don't do enough? Well, good news, Jesus did enough. I'm tired and weary and burdensome because I keep doing, I keep doing. Yeah, but why why do you keep doing when it is finished? You, You don't have to be tired, Martha. Be like Mary for a moment and spend some time at the feet of Jesus. Or even pride. Whew, at least I'm better than she is. Yeah, but you ain't better than Jesus. And so all of a sudden you begin to experience true humility because you realize even if you performed as best as you could, it wouldn't be better than what Christ did. So how could you possibly be arrogant towards your brother or sister? Amen? This is the key to experiencing the freedom of the gospel. We're able to experience true peace because we no longer have to perform. Our life isn't about advancing our life, but living and enjoying His. And then and only then can we begin to be anxious for nothing. So, so maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here tonight and you're uh, carrying a lot of burdens. Uh, when I read the words, you're heavy laden, you're like, that's me. I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm worried, I'm stressed out, I'm anxious, I'm heavy laden. Listen to me. And what I'm about to say, I mean with respect, honor, and every bit of sensitivity I can to this issue. But I I need to say it. If you don't stop living this way and get out from underneath the weight of success and performance, it will spiritually kill you. Just like Madison, it will spiritually kill you. It will drive you to the place where you are spiritually ready to jump 
off this Christianity thing. I know. Because I've been there. But that's when I learned through the impression of the Holy Spirit, Wes, this ain't about you. You see, the reason why you want to jump off the Christianity thing is because you haven't understood the Christianity thing. You think the Christianity thing is about your performance. True Christianity thing is about His performance. So jump on the real Christianity train that is taking you to a place of rest for your soul because you don't have to perform anymore. Where is this freedom found? Where is this peace found? It is found in the One who has already performed everything that needs to be performed. There's nothing left to accomplish. And that is why Jesus is able to offer you the most amazing and gracious invitation ever offered, and it's this. Come. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, that needs to be preached every week. Because the gospel that we're told in this culture is that what you do is who you are. And you got to live up, you got to be enough, you got to meet the standard, got to make everybody happy, got to make good grades, got to be successful at your job, got to keep all the church traditions. And it is enough to make you spiritually want to jump. And until we feel the weight of that, I'm not sure we feel the freedom of of Jesus' words when He says, but I have a better way. I have the only way where your soul can rest. So take my yoke. Forget all the yokes of this world that's telling you that how you look and what you do and how much money you have and that that defines who you are. Forsake those things and take my yoke. Take upon you the life that has already been perfectly performed and accomplished everything that God the Father required to be accomplished. And rest. Learn how to abide in that. And there will be rest for your souls. God, I believe this is the essence of Christianity. I believe this is the essence of the gospel. The exchanged life that we receive when we come to Jesus. And that is why he is the Prince of Peace. So help us tonight as we enter in just a few moments of remembrance and meditation to to really really think on 
what you've taught us tonight from Matthew 11. Because if there is a message that ought to scream at us in the culture that we live in, it's the message of Matthew 11. So we come now in these next few moments and just spend time abiding in You and resting in You and learning from You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.